Welcome to Unnumbered. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, lifestyle medical doctor, speaker, and coach. I'm here to remind you that you are unique, rare, and one of a kind, and so is your health. So be prepared to be educated, inspired, and empowered to live a healthy and purposeful life. Okay, so today, meet my guest, Pete Nell. He brings a unique blend of expertise and passion to the forefront as the managing director of GES Labs. Pete leads a dedicated team specializing in manufacturing specialized cannabinoids for global pharmaceutical cannabis and medicinal cannabis products. His journey as a hobbyist with a chemical engineering background to building GS Labs into an export powerhouse is nothing short of inspiring. You're very committed to medicinal products with the accessible and affordable is reflected in the company's works, which obviously ultimately is about benefiting patients, clinics, pharmacies, and the pharmaceutical businesses. So without further ado, I would love to welcome Pete to the show. Hi, Pete. <laughs> how's it? How's it? Um, as you can tell by Pete's accent, he's from South Africa. So um, everyone loves a South African accent. So I'm sure we're going to just listen to every word that you say anyway. Um, <laughs> so um, let's start from the beginning. Like you're a chemical engineer. First of all, talk to me basic because I don't even know what chemical engineers normally do. Do they normally come into a like pharmaceutical background? What did you do? What did you study? What do, What's chemical engineering? Yeah, so chemical engineering, um, the degree was actually created many years ago for the petrochemical industry. So that was, you know, basically refining crude oil into petrol, diesel, uh, lubricants, um, jet fuel, uh, everything you, you can think of with regards to petrochemical. It's kind of become a bit more modified, especially when I was studying, it's become more modified in kind of bioprocessing. So that would be like um, creating biofuels from agricultural waste, uh, waste valorization. Um, and then it started to become a little bit more specific in chemical processing and chemical API processing. So, you know, synthetic pharmaceutical manufacturing, big, large uh, batch reactors. And that's where you kind of learn a lot about the process of solvent extraction, chemical synthesis, uh, purification, chromatography, all these really sciencey things. And I think it was just out of my passion to go into using my skills into extraction, actually. And um, I actually started the university, or started the company while I was at university. So I was able to really leverage a lot of the skills and knowledge into building the business uh, from a fundamentals perspective on chemical engineering. Mm, wow. Okay, that sounds very technical. So, so how did that then <laughs> go to go to medicinal cannabis and and working in the industry? Presumably, you had a personal story, or you had a connection to the plant yourself. Yeah, um, I grew up in a um, part of South Africa called the Eastern Cape, and um, in the Eastern Cape, we have the Trans Sky. and the Trans Sky or the car is known for hundreds and thousands of. Uh, acres or hectares of traditional use of cannabis. Um, I visit there regularly and um, there's just thousands of people and families uh, that rely on cannabis. And so there's quite a big cannabis culture, let's say, in the Eastern Cape where I'm from. Um, and uh, that kind of has, has it's, it's always been with me, my friends, the way I grew up. They've been looked on 
too funny, let's say. Uh, it's always been kind of just accepted. And I've always just had a passion for it. I've had a passion for, you know, growing up, seeing what it can do, the health benefits, um, and just what, what it's being used for tr traditionally um, in the communities as well. And so I've just always had a general keen passion. I'm also a, sur a surfer. So, you know, surfers are very environmentalist. Uh, they always want to protect uh, the, the nature and conserve traditions and conserve the environment. So while studying, um, the global medical cannabis industry kind of started. This was around 2013. Uh, we started to see kind of Colorado and everyone started talking about the decriminalization, legalization. This obviously got me super excited. Um, so I just followed very keenly and knew that this thing was going to become a global thing. Uh, I just knew it in my gut feel that uh, from 2013 onwards, I better start kind of building the business because this one day will become an industry that I can support locally and internationally. Mm, beautiful. And obviously there's a lot of cannabis companies and there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies and there's a lot of people that are investors and tech people all trying to get into the industry because they see it as big books, but they don't always, uh, they don't always have the heart and the passion that that many of us do like like you like what was the main reason that you were super keen to bring this to patients and what was kind of the values um that you have surrounding your company that you want to maintain and be integral to yeah so um i think you know it, it goes back to the traditional use of cannabis in south africa um i've lived in places like malawi for many years i've lived in the uh, democratic republic of congo the DRC, I've lived in Lesotho in the mountains, I've lived in all these different places and everyone in Africa uses cannabis traditionally. So I think I just have a real keen purpose of putting Africa on the map as the global supply. Um, I like to see South Africa as kind of having European quality, but uh, still operating like a third world country. And so it only makes sense for really South Africa to be supplying, you know, patient-centric medicines. And because we have a culture of doing it here where it is decriminalized, you've got a strong community of uh, businesses as well. Um, I don't think I'm the only one that has a business like this that's very passionate, specifically in South Africa. Um, and because things are a little bit harder here um, in terms of, you know, getting investor money, not a lot of people put money in South Africa. You know, they just think of South Africa as this corrupt place where the the president just steals all your money and, you know, goes off to Dubai. And so it's very difficult to get um, investor money here in South Africa. So you have to really be passionate and really know what you're doing uh, in order to get like a global recognition for quality and supply. Mm. I love that you mentioned it's like traditional in South Africa. Like, tell me more about it. How is it used? Is there, I mean, we know that plant medicines originate way before the industrial era where uh, shamans would use it with traditional medicine men and women. There'd often be uh, rituals or ceremonies or practices. Can you share anything that you know of the traditional use in South Africa? Yeah, certainly. So in South Africa, um, we have Swaziland, uh, which is not South Africa, but it's landlocked within South Africa. We also have the Transkar. And when I'm meaning hundreds of people, I mean like hundreds of thousands of uh, hectares of um, villages that have been using this plant and the local land race uh, for hundreds of years. 
I mean, I visit there quite often and it's used in South Africa for muti, which is a traditional term for medicine. And they use it in conjunction with many other African herbs that have actually been commercialized now by Big Pharma. Um, an example is the Pelagonium root. It's actually now one of the largest exports of South Africa as a dry herb and used by the UK and Germany as Umkolobo, which is this lung mouth spray that was actually used traditionally. The same for cannabis. You've got, um, you know, but many families working for the seeds, for uh, pressing the seeds for food, but a lot of it is specifically for the low THC cannabis. You know, they are almost using the crop like hemp. Um, we, we, we're actually trying to look and see how we can actually legalize that specific indigenous crop of theirs as hemp because they farm it like hemp. They just throw the seeds out, thousands of hectares. The THC percent is about between 4 and 7% THC. So it's very low THC. They're not interested in the flowers. They, they really are just putting the flowers off in seeds, making medicine uh, for nutrition as well as uh, medicinal purposes, sores, toothaches, everything. Um, and the same goes for Malawi. When I was living in Malawi, they, they have interesting techniques of um, specifically with curing um, and this is why why we were inspired by kind of the wet the wet extraction of cannabis. It's done in Malawi and Swaziland, where they have this Malawi cob. So because of the humidity there in Malawi specifically, you have like you know ninety plus percent humidity. It's a bit difficult to dry cannabis at uh, those kind of um, levels. So they actually started uh, uh, curing wet the plant. Just take a shell of the plant and cure it wet underground in a Malawi cob. And that's where this term Malawi cob came from. Because they believe that having the 100% of terpenes and cannabinoids wet and then cured underground gave you the most medicinal properties. And I started to see this a lot sometimes in Swaziland where they had, had a bit more of a more modernized wet curing technique. And it was all to do with how they believe you get the most effects out of curing and storing something 100% wet, fresh from the plant. Wow. Okay, cool. And that's, that's obviously uh, different to how we currently, um, currently extract and uh, use cannabis correctly. So at the moment, the current process is we're drying them and then storing them and extracting them to get out different uh, compounds, right? Um, how you, you mentioned, and I was super interested in this that we talked about before, you were looking at different methods of, of how to get the, the most benefit out of the compounds. And you started mentioning about freeze-dried components. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, 100%. So... We've been, you know, we, we've looked at every single extraction technique. I think we've made mistakes on CO2, refrigerant. Uh, we then settled on uh, ethanol to make kind of a pure molecule. And um, we, we, we're now settling on water extraction. It's, we've done a full kind of circle. And um, the reason being is just we've, we've just proven through, you know, anal analytical techniques that there are a far, far more amount of molecules in the plant when you kind of harvest it fresh. And what we do is we actually try to harvest the plant fresh and within 72 to 96 hours, that plant has already been water extracted. So all we're doing is taking the uh, terpenes and trichome sacs, putting those off the plant without extracting them. And then we are storing those as like full power medicinal uh, cannabis. And we've, we've actually proven with that technique, you'd lose nothing. Uh, so with the drying, you lose a lot of myrcene, a lot of limonene, um, a, lot, a lot of those really 
light terpenes, where if you harvest it fresh, it's still kind of intact with the plant and you're able to recover everything. From a clinical perspective, um, we obviously can't tell, but from a scientific analytical perspective, we can 100% prove that there is massive differences. The closest that will come to this actually is CO2 extraction. Uh, that comes very close to water, but you know, still a factor of 10 away from the amount of molecules in there. Mm. So what you're saying, is this, is this currently, they're freeze-dried, is this currently available in South Africa? Are you doing that? Or is this an innovative new technique that hasn't yet come to market? No, so there are definitely um, craft methods like this that exist around the world. Uh, I see a lot of it in Canada, very, very, very small in craft, but it's very sort of recreational um, surrounded. Um, and it's not commercialized by, let's say, the big legal recreational cannabis companies. And so what we're trying to do is painfully bring that into a medical market. Um, there's a lot of validation, uh, GMP requirements. You know, you're, you're not just extracting with water now. You're extracting with farmer-grade water. There's all these sets of standards we've got to break through. So it will be available uh, at the end of this year following stability studies. So we've had to go through the full pharmaceutical development of this product, um, which just takes time. But, yeah, we are very excited about it. Hmm, that's cool well, that's awesome and so and then will that mean that you also can do the same with so this is flowers but can you also do that the same with oils does it make is it exactly the same being able to preserve the cannabinoids yeah and the exactly it, exactly so we want to ultimately actually replace a lot of our current extracts in the market with this new novel technique it, it's it's only fair um, that this does replace most of the extracts in the market at the moment, just because of the phenomenal uh, scientific validation that we can have. You know, it's it's just too clear what the patient can get uh, from this extract by replacing it. So it would be, even though it's more expensive for us to produce and much more um, intensified from a regulatory and GMP perspective or um, scientific perspective, it the patient benefits are um, there, certainly. So it would just feel ethically wrong to not replace all of our products with this extract. Mm, wow. And for, for those of people that are listening, because a lot of people may not know what terpenes are or... Um, yeah, essentially these are these are oil-based uh, compounds that are in plants that are a bit like how I describe aromatherapy. So you, me you mentioned myrcene and limonene. These are the things where if you smell lavender, you smell linalol, it helps you relax, or you smell limonene and it helps you feel uplifted. And all these beautiful things are, are in, in plants, but particularly in, in cannabis, and that's what it's sharing is it's being able to... Uh, preserve them despite the extraction method and and this new innovative way is is through using water and then drying uh, not drying freeze drying um which is super exciting and so is it actually legal is cannabis legal in south africa yet or not so we have um a decriminalized approach so a few years ago we had a a, a religious rastafarian group take our um, government to court and they said that it's unconstitutional for Rastafarians not to use their medicine without the private space that they have where they feel safe and secure using their um, religious uh, medicines. Um, and they won in court. So we have a constitution that allows you to use cannabis in a decriminalized setting. So you can grow uh, a few plants at home, you can carry on you, you won't be arrested. 
um, and we have these these clubs. So in South Africa, we have a very strong, um, uh, slightly westernized now uh, cannabis culture where everyone is growing, everyone is you know enjoying, everyone's sharing, everyone's trading. So we do, we definitely have a big culture of cannabis here in South Africa. So it's not legal to sell THC. CBD is over the counter. So we look at CBD as a, you know, same as the US hemp-based products, um, but we do have decriminalized THC. So that does obviously have everyone informed. We have an informed market. Uh, it has become westernized because we're bringing in all the seeds and stuff. Um, we just aren't even seeing some of the traditional uh, growing communities as well. Now they're growing all these Americanized hybrids and stuff. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely have a big culture. Wow. Do you see any problems with that in the community? I mean, as you mentioned, when you think of South Africa, if you haven't been, sometimes you do uh, you do get concerned about the um, the violence and, and the war and the arrest that goes on. And then add that to what some people don't uh, feel comfortable with, you know, using cannabis potentially for personal use. Um, some people immediately might be like, oh, this is a recipe for disaster. Do you find that it's the opposite of that? Or do you find that there's more problems or less problems or does it tend to be a bit of a balance? Yeah, I think we have uh, many more problems than cannabis. Um, I think ca cannabis is so relaxed here yeah, um, in terms of what people are doing and what and what the government's kind of allowing. I mean, you know, it's so relaxed here yeah, that there they are THC shops in, you know, uh, affluent area malls where you can literally walk into and it's not legal but it's not frowned upon um i think we just have so many problems with you know electricity and other crime and that's those sorts of things where the cannabis not it's it's not really creating too much of an issue i think it's it's definitely connecting people so i think in a country where you have a lot of issues it works but maybe in a country where you don't have too many issues, you know, you do have maybe gangs wanting to get involved and, and stuff like that. But I think it's Africa, the gangs stick to, you know, um, some of the harder drugs like Tuk and Mandrax, which are, you know, what other countries also struggle with um, from speed and methamphetamines and stuff like that. But I don't think cannabis has definitely not been a um, something that we would consider walking back on as a country. Mm. It's an interesting space. I mean, you've just visited Australia. Um, you know, as you know, in Australia, it's not currently uh, legal unless you have a medical prescription. And there's still a lot of people that don't know much about cannabis, are frightened of cannabis. Um, and, you know, it's very different to the different landscapes around the world. Like when I went to Denver in um in Colorado there's like five psychedelics that are that are legal. Um, so, you know, it's <laughs> It's a very interesting space when you talk to people all around the world and, and how it then uh, plays out. I mean, I, I personally have only ever seen really great results with um, with correct use of medicinal cannabis. Um, you yourself, you said you've had a long relationship with it. Can you tell us a bit more of a personal kind of story of why you might use medicinal cannabis or how you found it useful from a therapeutic benefit? Yeah, sure. Um... It's, uh, you know, I, I, it's taken me a long time to figure out what works for me. You know, I, I do put it in the category of personalized medicine um, and, you know, dosage and everything is important. But for me, it, it's, it's really just about PTSD and um, obviously being involved in cannabis and uh, my like upbringing as well. Things like, like you have, 
uh, we we had very dark times back in the day, uh, and a lot of our parents were like kind of privy to it. So made things a bit uh, stressful and scared growing up. Uh, just if you had um, kind of like uh, a scary environment to grow up in, and so I think PTSD was definitely something that uh, I really enjoyed cannabis with. Is it, it really helped with PTSD, and I think that's that's one of the main reasons that I personally like cannabis. Is if you find the right dose and the right setting setting that you would like to use it in. And kind of like build through, break through the the tolerance barrier. Um, that's the one thing that cannabis, I think, found for me is that from a y- younger age, I was able to break through the tolerance of getting past the point of where you don't get the psychoactive effects anymore. And so I'm able to reap full benefits of the therapeutic potential of, you know, THC and CBD together, where I think some patients will reach that um, psychoactive barrier sometimes and they're unable to push through it because they don't have the right medicine or certain setting or maybe even the delivery mechanism is not good. And I think that that's what I've become very passionate is because I myself have managed to break through um, that psychoactive stigma of the plant and uh, through the right delivery mechanism. Um, and I'm able to now, you know, therapeutically get over my PTSD and actually deal with with a lot of things. I think uh, you know, my my friends and the family and, and people that know me very well will be like, Yo, Pete, have you uh, have you had your dab yet or have you have you had your medicine yet? Because um it's certainly something that I'm having to use on a regular basis now. Um and I I look at it at like medicine, uh, like they use traditionally. Um um it's also something that can be abused and you can like not have a good time with it. But I think if you have a, a strict medical regime and um a strict uh, kind of uh, pathway to success you can get there. That's the one thing South Africa doesn't have is um, doctor support. So we may have decriminalization, but we don't have doctors like Australia has that can actually guide patients through this journey because it is a journey at the end of the day. And I think that's why we do have maybe potential for uh, abuse um, in terms of overusing negative effects, um, you know, super high doses and paranoia and schizophrenia and those sorts of things. Um, And so you have to, that's the one thing we do lack. And so people are a bit hesitant. They just say, you know, why is medical cannabis when we have decriminalization? It's like, well, you know, you have to have a strict regime, dose and dose. It's I, I, I like to compare it to when you have diabetes. You know, like a diabetes person is not just taking insulin like on the fly. You know, it's uh, you got to take it now, you got to take it later, you got to take it um, a strict regime, and that's how I like to compare it to. It's like you wouldn't just be popping insulin when you remember about it. You know, you have to be set reminders and stuff like that. And that's the one thing I was actually very inspired by Australia. And I think we will get there, but it's it's a bit more complicated in South Africa. Mm. Mm. That's so true, because when I was in, in Denver for the MAPS conference, it was the same, right? In the sense that uh, cannabis was recreational or personal use. And uh, many people that I spoke to that lived in America were just, you know, they were happy to take edibles and different things like that. But when I asked them about, um, you know, the medicinal or therapeutic benefits, um, they weren't able to always uh, describe them or tell me specifically why they were using them apart from they felt good, right? So there's the feeling that they had. So they weren't abusing it. 
And then when I spoke to them at more depth about like just health as you do, um, people tell you everything when you're a doctor. So um, when they started to tell me more about their health, I would say, well, why don't you use CBD for that? Right. And they were like, oh, CBD. Oh, I've never thought about using CBD for this. And, and they don't know the doses and, and what have you. And so because it was so widely available, but yet in the shops that you go into, which are literally like a candy store, the uh, the servers behind would be like 18 years old and, and know very little about uh, terpenes or different minor uh, cannabinoids or flavonoids. And so it was a very interesting thing. It was more like picking Skittles. Um, so I, I think that there is a there's a fine line, right? It's like, how do we decriminalize, which means that hopefully more people have available this medicine, but how do we also use it in a medical way where people are actually seeing it as therapeutically beneficial rather than just a relaxation, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying that there's more to the plant than just a relaxation and a nice evening, right? So I think I think exactly that's really not. important. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, so I do... I was um, living in uh, the DRC in, in Congo, and um, there they use traditionally this uh, um, root bark called um, iboga, uh, where they have ibogaine out of it, and they were using it for, you know, any kind of addiction, um, nicotine, alcoholism, you know, abuse, uh, many sorts of negative addictions they use, and it's a pretty intense ceremony and and um, active substance ibogaine but you wouldn't think of anyone abusing that um you know ibogaine it's a very scary one to abuse for example and so there's not really a big abuse culture with these sorts of psychoactive substances in south africa from a traditional perspective and i think that's how i look at it as well is i would never really abuse ibogaine um, neither would i really abuse uh, mushrooms and i think cannabis is almost like the softer one but it can also make people very paranoid and very anxious if used incorrectly. Mm, I completely agree. I haven't had Ibogaine, but I've had other psychedelics throughout the world. And um, and I was only just talking to Rachel Harris, who's written lots of books on ayahuasca, um, about that you, you don't go into ayahuasca ceremonies, um, you know, with joy. You go in there going, oh, shit. <laughs> Like, there's another layer that's going to uncover, which I'm sure is probably. Have you taken Ibogaine? Yes, I have. Can you share? Are you happy to share your story? Tell us. I want to know everything. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it's a very strong kind of stimulant at first, uh, you know, kind of like really uh, heart opening. But it was a bit, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a scary journey for sure um in terms of like a cleansing of you know past and ptsd mostly like trying to deal with uh, ptsd still um but i found it to be a lot more aggressive than anyone anything else i've i've taken it, it was not a soft landing or experience at all um it was yeah you you are awake for many hours as well uh, while you're kind of being like in the ceremony um so yeah, it's it's difficult to explain to anyone who's not tried it, but it's not anything like ayahuasca. Uh, it's a completely different ceremonial experience as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 just it, I found it to be super awake and super um, st like stimulant, but not present uh, in the ceremony at all. Um, kind of just blacked out 
um, and then just dealing with, um, yeah, PTSD basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, was it is it quick like five meo DMT? Is it where you go quick and kind of dissolve, uh, or is it more like IR in the sense that there's a journey of some sort? Yeah, I know it's a complete journey. Sometimes it can take two days. Sometimes it can take three days. Um, some cases even say, especially if you're taking the full alkaloid extract. Um, there are guys who are doing the salt extraction, so that's a pure isolate, so a pure uh, Ibogaine HCL, um, which is not the same kind of experience. That's more for like opioid addiction. So if you have an opioid addiction or heroin or something like that, that's where you kind of go for two or three days and you, um, the molecule itself is actually able to bind to receptors to block opioid uh, receptors or opiates from binding to receptors. That's what kind of the big thing is about it. But you can have the full alkaloid extract, which... Um, yeah, it's 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 a long journey. It's you know, mine was forty eight hours, so two days of like mm. stimulants. Yeah, mm. so it's not is a it five. It's not a. Is, that is Africa, it legal? Um, we we actually see it as a medicine. Yeah, um, iboga is not on the banned list. It's seen as a medicine. It's used traditionally. Um, there are guys manufacturing it in a pharmaceutical setting. So in South Africa specifically, you can actually get a medicine manufacturing license for it and you can even export it if you wanted to. Mm, we may need to talk if uh, it becomes legal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love all plant-based and psychedelic uh, therapies. So um, yeah, that's super exciting. I believe it's definitely um, illegal here as, a, as are most um, psychedelic medicines in Australia, but um, around a few countries um, in the world, I know that there are several things that you can take if you go to those countries and, and work with traditional uh, medicine men and women. Um, so it sounds like South Africa might be the place to go if you're interested in that. Um, what? Um, tell me more about what's happening with with the company. So you're focusing on the uh, freeze dried and the water extraction. Um, you're really interested in kind of patient access and and things like that. Most patients don't know much about the. Um, extraction and the distribution of pharmaceuticals because they really only have us as doctors as their single point of education and maybe nurses um is a do you have much interaction with patients do patients come to or or email in the the lab and ask about specific things or do you find that patients want to know about the extraction methods are they interested yeah so i mean I'm very interested in always talking about the products and, and uh, patient access, how they're made, where they're sourced. You know, a lot a lot of our, we don't have any brands in the markets. We mainly do private label manufacturing. So, you know, distributors and brands will come to us and they'll say, hey, Pete, what's the best recipe? You can put your name behind and I'll be like, I like this. Um, and they'll kind of uh, send it off. They, they can never, they I've always wanted to get in touch with patients, you know, if they have any questions or anything, but Apparently, there's a bit of a barrier between the distributor and the supplier um, and the patient. And usually the clinic or the pharmacy is the one in between uh, that's kind of relaying the information or if there's any complaints about the product or anything like that. Um, but obviously, just naturally wanting to show the patient that, A, the product is sourced ethically. Um, it comes from you know world-class facilities uh, from a manufacturing perspective, but it has been designed uh, with the intent of someone that's not just wanting to make money. It, it is actually a lot of hard work and passion goes into it. Um, 
And so we're unfortunately not connected to any patients. Um, I do like to go on Reddit and see what they're all saying about the products and what they like. And, you know, that's as far as it goes. It's really seen, oh, you know, um, anonymous 007 said that uh, I would have preferred this about the product, you know. <laughs> so that's about it. Yeah, yeah. I think you, what you're mentioning is like the TGA laws are very strict with advertising and and um, yeah, and I know that uh, some patients have, have reached out to previous manufacturers and asking them questions. And I believe that they they usually get redirected to their doctors. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. as, I, as I quite openly, transparently said, I, I prescribe and I, and I enjoy and I, and I love um, prescribing medicinal cannabis for its therapeutic benefits. But but in all hands, like I, I know very little about the way in which it is um it is pharmaceutically made. And I think that um, hopefully some of our colleagues and peers can listen to this and, and learn as well, right? So um, so it sounds like you might need to be educating as doctors and nurses and, and the clinics more than the patients. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love you, to. Are you planning on coming back to Australia anytime soon? Have you got any more um, conferences? What's your plans over the next few years? Yeah, so I'll probably come to us twice a year um yeah like the the reason i did this trip now from perth all the way you know visit all the major cities to brisbane drive along the coast to decide where i want to buy a house so i think i want to buy a house in oz uh, and then have a house in cape town and just do the back and forth i've got a lot of family moving to australia as well and um, just with what's happening in south africa so i think i'll probably be there in march and then i'll be there in end of the year again next year um yeah so, I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm a big surfer, so it's very difficult for me to say no. Yeah, we we still have sharks like you guys do. You guys do in South <laughs> Africa, so <laughs> maybe the water's a bit warmer. Although you did say you prefer Melbourne, so um, yeah, I think definitely try try Queensland first rather than Melbourne. But um, it's been great chatting to you. Um, I'm sure lots of people are going to have questions. Um. And, you know, if there's anything that people want to ask, um, can I point them in a particular direction? Where can people find you? Yeah, so they can probably find me on email or LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always available chatting, but I'm probably most available on email. WhatsApp, I'm terrible. Instagram, terrible. But email, I'm spot on. Or, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I feel like I have learned a little bit about um, more about what actually I might be prescribing. Um, and I'm super excited to see um, where where you're going to go with all your new um, new products and things. And hopefully we can get some feedback from patients as well. So thank you so much, Pete. And, um, and I'll get make sure that everyone can contact you if they need to ask anything. Awesome. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.